Well, it's, uh, it's great to be together tonight, and uh, I so enjoy speaking in these meetings. There's such an atmosphere of expectation uh, for God to move amongst us, and uh, I'm excited for all that he's going to do tonight. So I want to actually, if it's all right with you guys, just jump straight into the scriptures, um, almost as a principle that the Word of God trumps everything that, that goes on here tonight. Everything I'm about to say, I want the Word of God to be the first thing that is spoken. It's, it's, it's the thing by which we live all of our lives. And uh, so we're in our 1 Peter series, so if you have a Bible with you, uh, then you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, the words are going to come up on the screen, um, I'll explain what's going on uh, after I've read it. And uh, if you're new to the Bible, uh, this is a letter written to a church in lots of different places, but it's sort of modern day Turkey, lots of places around there, uh, by a guy called Peter, who was a friend of Jesus, uh, saw the things that he did, Jesus turned his life upside down in a really incredible way, and uh, he was writing to these churches. So this is part of what he said, and this is the first chapter and verse 10. It says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I want to begin by asking you the question, I wonder if any of you have ever been to the cinema and had a truly bizarre experience whilst you were there. This happened to an elderly relative of of mine and my wife Emma's who um, a few years ago decided to go and see the film Love Actually. Not the, necessarily the demographic of person, elderly gentleman, that would go and see Love Actually. But nonetheless, he headed over to, to the cinema, bought his ticket, and went and sat down in the screen. But to his surprise, the film seemed to begin quite quickly and only be about 45 minutes or an hour long. And when he uh, asked about this at the end, it transpired that he was in fact in the wrong screen. And so he thought, well, it's all right, I arrived early, so I'm going to go to the right screen, and I'll be there, and the film will be just about to start. So he got into the right screen, only to find the film in exactly the same place that he had found it in when he went to the wrong screen. Now, I'm sure he got the general idea of what was going on, but as the conclusion approached, obviously, Love actually has a very in-depth technical plot, of course, but as the conclusion approached, No doubt, had he seen the first half of the film, he would have seen the conclusion in an even greater way. For only seeing the second half, he missed something of the depth of the story. And tonight, I want to invite us as a congregation to dig into, to plumb the depths of the first half of the biblical story. This is what we call the Old Testament In the story, it's everything before Jesus arrives on the scene. Now, the word testament, it just means covenant. It's like, it's a legal term. It's it's a binding promise, so the old binding promise. And when we talk about the Old Testament, what we are meaning is the first 39 books of the Bible, written over about 1,500 years or so, but covering a period of history much greater in length. 
And to try and summarize in any detail what it says is an impossible task in a talk like tonight. Believe me, I have tried. But essentially, it's the entire story of God's dealings with his people. Some of you who have read parts of the Old Testament will know that when you're reading it, sometimes it can be quite confusing. I'm sure different ones around the room have, have had that. Sometimes you think, well, what is going on here? The first 17 books or so are in chronological order, but the last 22 aren't. And so it can make it confusing as to where exactly you are in the story. And the story itself is quite complex to begin with. There's different literature types, so you read different bits of it differently. There can be questions about, well, as New Testament believers, what of the Old Testament do we keep and, and do as they did? And what do we discard? What has Jesus fulfilled? What do we not need to do in quite the same way anymore? Obviously, there are huge political questions about the nation state of Israel that arise from the Old Testament. So you might think, well, why are we looking at the Old Testament? We're doing a series on 1 Peter. You've already said, JP, that that is in the New Testament. Well, we began our reading with Peter saying, concerning this salvation, i.e., if you want to know more about all that Duncan preached about last week so excellently, if you want to know more about the living hope that we have, if you want to know more about the praise and glory and honor that is due to the Father, but that he wants to share with us in eternity to come, if you want to know more about the inexpressible joy that we have and that is found in Jesus, that enables us to face every trial and still find joy in the midst of it, if you want to know more about those things, then you're to go back to the story of the Old Testament. Specifically, the prophets, the people who had a message from God for the people, and the story that was written through them through the lens of Jesus. And what it says is that the great prophecies, the great themes, the great narrative in the story is ultimately a message for us today. So let's have a look at it. What, what is the Old Testament? Well, I want to put to you tonight that it is God's great story, God's great communication, and it's about God's great son. It's the story of a God who lovingly chooses a people. They have nothing to commend themselves to him. They're not particularly impressive. They continually turn away from him. And yet in his love, he chooses to use them. And he gives them a purpose. And he attaches his reputation to them. This is the God who provides for them wonderfully, even though they keep letting him down. This is the story of God's faithfulness to his people, of a God who fulfills every promise that he makes, of a God who always comes through. Such is our God. Now in a, a room this size, there will be all sorts of situations represented in terms of when someone asks you, how's your week going? And some of you will have had incredible days this week, and some of you will face, have faced days of real pain. Life's ups and life's downs. 
just to be vulnerable with you in my own life this week. I've had the elation of finding out that my dad, who'd been going through a cancer battle, doesn't need chemo, celebrating in that. And then the trial and the tribulation, my, my um, godfather died this week. And it's sad, and I miss him. Life's ups and life's downs. And you could be forgiven for coming here tonight and saying, well, what's this got to do with my life's ups and my life's downs? How does this speak to me? And yet when you grasp this story, you know that he is a God who always comes through. He is a God who, whether you have had a good week or a bad week, whether you're doing well or whether you're doing badly, always is with you, always has a plan for your life, always has a mission for you, always wants to speak to you, always comes through for you, is always there with you, and always works out his purposes through and not in spite of his people. This is the God who pursues you. This is the God who said to Abraham, a character in the Old Testament, I want a people from every tribe and tongue and nation who chose you. This is a God who gave purpose to his people, who gives purpose in your life, who calls his people to do great things, who calls you to do great things. It's a God who said to Moses, another Old Testament character, that his people are his treasured possession. You are God's treasured possession. It's a God who in the midst of despair still spoke to his people. Think about the entry of sin and disobedience into the world. Think about the people of God in the wilderness, not knowing what's going on. God had called them out of one place, called them into another place, but it wasn't happening and they weren't sure. Think of the people of God in slavery, thinking, God, why has this happened to me? Think, think of the people of God in captivity who asked questions that, that said, what about your promises, O oh God? And yet each time, he always came through. He always spoke. He always brought life. He always fulfilled his purposes. He parted the Red Sea for his people. He stopped the sun for his people. He called the unlikely to do great things. He took down giants, literally and metaphorically. He wrestled with his people until they came to the realization that of themselves, they could not fulfill all that he had called them to do, but only by yielding to him, by trusting him, by living as his children. This is our God. And as the prophets who were living this story, gleaned that what they were speaking of was about something greater, something beyond their day. God made a great revelation to them. Now this is verse 12. It says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced. I want you to imagine for a moment an Old Testament prophet. So, you know, a guy hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago now, wouldn't it? Probably wearing something quite strange, standing before the people of God or a king or some great nation representative about to communicate a message. 
Now, we have to get out of our, our notions of it's a bit like when someone brings a prophecy on a Sunday. It's, it's quite different from that. For these Old Testament prophets, everything they said was 100% accurate, 100% weighty. In fact, they, the prophets of, of the Old Testament days would get stoned if they got it wrong. And you will be pleased to know that is not how we do things in the New Testament. So it's, 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 it's less of that a kind of someone bringing a, a sort of encouragement, exhortation in, in church on a Sunday. It's actually more like a parent with a naughty child. And, and parents with naughty children tend to work in, in three broad stages. Firstly, there's an initial warning to the child. Secondly, there's what I've termed a judgment. So that sounds a bit harsh with children, doesn't it? But you did what I told you not to do, and therefore dot, dot, dot. And thirdly, there's a hope to the child. There's a kind of, come on, let's go and do this instead. Now, my daughter Lizzie, she's uh, one, year, one year old. And um, so the notion of kind of naughty and disobedience is a sort of funny, um, unfortunately developing thing for her. But she has found in our kitchen her favorite cupboard, which is the cupboard where all the cereal boxes are kept. So she comes kind of waddling in, sort of holding onto the wall, finds a chair and then sort of zooms the chair over to this cupboard, flings the doors open, hope they don't shut back on her face and stands there in glee as there are all these cereal boxes that she can tip onto the floor, or so she thinks. And so our warning to her in the first stage is, Lizzie, don't tip the cereal boxes onto the floor. Now, she doesn't understand those words fully, but we're trying to teach her these things. Our judgment in stage two is, Lizzie, because you've tipped the cereal box all over the floor, we are now going to remove you from the kitchen and take you back to the lounge. And the third stage of hope is, come on, let's go and play with your toys. Let's go and have some fun. Maybe even a promise of a future return, but that's to press the analogy too far. <coughs> So as these Old Testament prophets brought this message, warning, judgment, hope, something came to them, some kind of realization about what they were saying, that they were speaking about an eternal, everlasting hope. Verse 10 calls it the grace that was to be yours. That is the completely unmerited favor that gives us so much more than we deserve. Such is the greatness of our God. Our lives are as though we have tipped the cereal box all over the floor, and yet he chooses to treat us as though we have cleaned and tidied the entire kitchen. This is what he is like. And if we jump on a verse to 11, this says that it was God who was speaking to them. The spirit of Christ is the term it uses. So if God spoke to these prophets and said, hey, this isn't just for your day. This is for a day to come. This is for our day. Then this message, this story in the Old Testament must be God's great communication to you, to us. He wants to speak to us through the story. And it's all fulfilled in Christ. Which leads to the question, well, what was he saying then? What was he saying through this story? Some of you will have uh, looked on with great interest at what I consider to be the greatest sporting moment of our generation, 
couple of years back, which was when Leicester City, the unfancied Premier League team, won the Premier League title. Now, you can look at the story and the start of the season, they were largely unfancied. They got to the top of the league and everyone thought, ah, it'll never last. Gary Lineker made some great claim about if they won the league, he'd do match of the day in his underpants and, you know, he looked silly when they won it and all this sort of thing. It's a great story. It's an amazing story. But actually, if you go back to the season before, and you see that from the start of the season through to Easter, which is about two months from the end, they were bottom of the league the entire time. They were absolutely useless. Their manager, who did nothing all season and then pulled it out of the bag and worked miracles seemingly, then got sacked. They had to sack some of their players for gross misconduct. They had no household names, no big transfer fees. Everybody thought they were going to go straight back down. You see, when you go back and you see the depth of the story, it's all the more incredible. And sometimes we can live our Christian life saying, well, I know that Jesus died to save me from my sin, to make right my relationship with God. I know he offers me that free gift. And if I just trust him, then my eternity is secure forever. And I know he rose again. And those are wonderful, life-changing truths. But if we live just like that, sometimes the Old Testament can be confined just to individual encounters with people. You know, here's what God did with Jacob. Here's what God did with Joshua. Here's what God did with Moses. Or just fridge magnet verses. And it just sort of one-off promises. Now, there's nothing wrong with that approach. The New Testament even commends that. But I want to encourage us that there is more, that there's a greater story, there's a greater revelation of God to be had. I want to encourage us to get something of the bigger picture. Because our Father has written this incredible story for you to communicate to you who he is and how much he wants you. It's all part of his word to you. This is history. This is his story. This is more than just a a one-off fridge magnet statement or a brief unrelated encounter. Can you imagine if my marriage to my wife, Emma, was comprised of brief one-off statements and unrelated encounters? (laughs) I mean, what a terrible marriage that would be. It reminds me of the guy who, on his wedding day, said to his wife, Honey, I love you, and if that ever changes, I will let you know. I left it at that. I mean, what a, what a terrible place for a marriage. But there's a depth of relationship from when we first met and got together and how we sought God in the midst of us getting to know each other and seeking if marriage was right and getting married and learning each other. There's a depth of relationship there which gives a bigger, more incredible story. The Old Testament story, as fulfilled in Jesus, is God's pursuit of you. 
It's God's revelation of who he is. It is the explanation of your life, your culture, your family. It shows God's plan for the future. It is his backdrop painting of the present reality. It is the principles on which life is founded. It is his great rescue of you, even though each and every one of us find ourselves right in the story of the faithful king who fully knew the revolt of his people and yet championed them anyway. It is God's communication to you. And if you get this story, then you know that God is a promise-keeping God. If you get this story, you know that he is utterly sovereign, that he is always in control, that he comes through for his people every single time. You get there is always a way back to him. You get there is an eternal hope. You get he always makes it happen you get he's about a great work across the earth to make his name famous and that he uses his people to do it. It's his authorship of history to reveal himself. So how did they see it? How did these Old Testament prophets see it? Well, verse 10 says that they had to dig. It says that they searched and inquired carefully. See, if you dig into the story of the Old Testament, you will find fresh depth, fresh treasure. It's why Jesus said that the prophets who lived out the story, the kings who were in it, longed to see this day, our day, longed to see these things fulfilled. We had some work done on our garden recently, and um, it basically was on a a whole different series of levels and very unsafe for um, kids to run around on. And uh, we hate gardening, so we wanted a, a simple uh, garden we didn't have to do anything with. But before I realized what a big job it was, I decided to try and do some of the work myself to keep the cost down. And so I started with a, with a strip of plants that was about five meters by about half a meter. And I thought, well, I'll get all these plants out. I'll stick them all somewhere else. None of them are still alive. And, um, I, and, and I'll remove this, and then we can do something with this soil. So I went along the top layer of the plants and took out all these plants. I dug into the soil. And as I'd stripped this top layer out, I think, okay, that's it. I thought I'd just turn the soil over. And of course, you find all these bulbs in the soil, don't you? More signs of life. So planted them. They've not come through. And I get all these bulbs. There's so much in the soil. I thought, I better dig down just a little bit further because I don't want things just springing up when I've done all this work. And there's more, you know, more weeds, more roots, more worms, more bulbs. There's so much life in the soil. I want to encourage us that as we dig into the story of the Old Testament, there is so much life in the soil. And for the sake of us becoming like Jesus, let's dig into the soil for the sake of our great mission in the city to share this precious gospel he has entrusted us with. Let's dig into the soil for the sake of going to other cities with a conviction that we're on a mission from God to make his name famous, to start churches, to preach Jesus. Let's dig into the soil because the more we do, the more convinced we become that he is with us. The more convinced we become that he is fulfilling his purposes through us. The more convinced we become that he will always come through for us. 
Sometimes you'll read the story and you'll glean a, a principle for life, a, a mantra for the day, if you like, a word of truth, something to chew over, something you think, yeah, that's really cool. That really changes how I think about God. Sometimes you read the story and you just think, wow. And that's okay. In my own times recently, I was just reading, uh, I was reading a book about how God wants to dwell with his people. And I was just surprised by the intricacy through the story, how it's all so well woven together. All begins in the Garden of Eden with God walking with Adam and Eve. Move on a few hundred years and God gave his people this big tent called the tabernacle with this special place in it called the most holy place where his presence would dwell in its pure brilliance. It was so intense that no human could hack it except by his covering. It was a perfect cube in structure. And as you read it, you think, well, surely that's just a detail of it. But park that thought. It moves on down the years to this great temple that King Solomon builds. Again, lots and lots of detail, a really grand structure that speaks of the majesty of God. And again, the most holy place where God dwells so powerfully, this perfect cube. Through onto Jesus coming to earth, he is God with us, God amongst his people. Through into the church being formed by his finished work and God dwelling amongst us by his spirit. And through into one day on the new earth where the heavenly city comes down out of the sky called the new Jerusalem to forever be with his people. How does the Bible describe it? It's a perfect cube. God wants to dwell with his people. And I read that and I just thought, wow, wow, what intricacy. And if God can construct something so detailed and get it so exactly right, then in my questions of pain, in my questions of God, why is this happening? In my questions of God, what is next? Of course he's going to come through because he's got it so sewn up because he always brings things through exactly how he wishes. And he's committed to being with me forever. See, wow is mission. Wow is a, a comfort that he's going to come through for you. Wow is a knowledge that he's the most beautiful, wonderful thing and that to pursue him is the key to all of life. Be wowed by the scriptures. Dig into the garden of the Old Testament. I just want to say that you don't have to be some Old Testament scholar to read this. You don't have to be some kind of expert or anything but that this is the word of God and it is God's job to reveal himself to you. And whether this is the first time you go into the Old Testament story and you just feel like you're taking the plants of the topsoil out or whether you're digging right down over territory that you've been over before to discover fresh life in the soil, I wanna encourage you for the sake of him and being like him and our great mission, dig, dig, dig. Dig into the soil of the scriptures. Because it's God's word and it's all fulfilled in his son, in Jesus, our beautiful, wonderful savior. The one whom the Old Testament is actually all about, even though it all happened before his life. 
The story is incomplete without him, the Old Testament story. It's like reading a novel where the last chapters just aren't there. It's like seeing the first half of Love Actually twice. It's an incomplete story. And though Jesus comes to bring the New Testament, the new covenant, the new promise, the whole Old Testament is actually pointing to him. And that is the key in reading it. That's one of the things that we're to do as we read it. We're to read the, um, what, the, the events that are happening and say, well, how does Jesus fulfill what these is, events are speaking of? We're to look at the characters and we're to say, well, how is Jesus, the greater and better version, succeeding where they failed? You see, the thing is, Jesus fulfills everything that you can think about in the Old Testament. That is, every prophecy that is spoken of the one to come to sort out the problem of the disobedience of the people of God. He is the fulfillment. Every theme, every time you track some theme through the Old Testament, he is always the fulfillment of it. Every character in the Old Testament, he is the greater and better version of. You can do it with every event every law, every cry, every symbol, every problem, every promise, every pain, every proverb, every prayer, Jesus fulfills them all. This is incredible. I'm gonna say it again, it's so incredible. Jesus is fulfilling every prophecy, every theme, every character, every event, every law, every cry, every symbol, every promise, every problem, every pain, every proverb, and every prayer. He fulfills them all. He fulfills everything. You think, well, what's the point? He fulfills our every desire, our every dream, our every disappointment. And as I read those lists, the prophecy, the theme, the character, and so on, you think, oh, there's a lot of things there. The point is, he fulfills all things. So when you bring your desires to him, you bring your dreams to him, you say, God, this is hard, I feel disappointed. He is always the answer, because he always comes through, because that is the story of the Old Testament. Let's have the band up. And just as we finish, I just wanna uh, give something really, a couple of really practical things for those that would really appreciate this about how do we dig into the story of the Old Testament. Because for some of us tonight, we'll just want to dwell on these things, maybe pray through them, write some things down, Go back to the scriptures. Some of you will want to dig by reading a book on this. And uh, I would love to recommend to you a book called God's Big Picture by Vaughan Roberts. I personally have found it very, very helpful. For those that don't want to read or would rather watch some videos, maybe you don't quite have that sort of time, there is a wonderful series. You can find it on YouTube called Read Scripture by an organization called The Bible Project. It summarizes every book of the Old Testament in a video. Have we got a yay for that? Yeah. We, we like it, we've got some fans. Really great, maybe five to seven minutes long, every book of the Old Testament, I found them so helpful. Bringing to life books that I read and think this is really confusing. My first go-to is that. 
Some of you will want to begin to read the scriptures with an accessible commentary. And uh, there is a series called Straight to the Heart by a guy called Phil Moore, which again, really helpful commentaries. My wife has been using some of them and has really found them really helpful in her, uh, in her walk and her understanding of these things. But let's remember that all of this is all about him. And we dig into the story so that we get to know him better. And that in doing so, we become more like him. And as we read the story, we become more convinced that in our everything, he always comes through. He always does what he promises. And he always works out his purposes through us. Let's stand together and let's worship him.